You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. How could Jacob have forgotten God? Okay, let's bring this down to personal terms. We are facing these formidable enemies that we've just cataloged for you. In spite of that, don't allow your view of God to be skewed by those things. Never lose sight of God and who he is and now what you have become through his son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever forgotten God? I don't necessarily mean that you outright forget that He exists, but have you ever been so caught up in the small details of things that you forget about God's plan with the big picture? In today's message, Pastor Mike uses Jacob's story to demonstrate someone forgetting about God. It was because Jacob let himself get so distracted by his own self-doubt and pity that he stopped remembering who exactly it was he was continuously putting his life on the line for in the first place. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 42 as he continues his message, Having a Pity Party. So we're not attributing all of the things that we have to deal with that oppose us, that's antagonistic towards our Christianity, as being of the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil's lurking around every corner. You know, some Christians would have you to believe that, but that's not the case. The greatest enemy that you face is yourself. God has given us ample abilities and resources and capacities to be able to overcome the devil, our formidable enemy, right? Those are the three big enemies that we face. What are they again? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, as it relates to the devil, remember and praise God, God promised he would send a redeemer, who of course is Jesus, through the chosen line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus would bruise the devil's heel and utterly defeat him at the cross. In fact, that's exactly what was going on when Jesus was nailed to the cross in the last few moments, just prior to his dismissing his spirit, he cried out, it is finished. It was there on the cross that Jesus struck the decisive blow that defeated the devil for all time for all his people. And so thank God for that. Now, As I mentioned before, it was going to be through the chosen line of Abraham, Isaac, and ultimately Jacob, and then the sons of Jacob 
that the Messiah was going to come. Okay, now put your thinking caps on. Let me ask you a question. Quiz time. Which of the sons, right? Think about this. Which of the 12 sons would ultimately come the Messiah? It would be Joseph. Because as we've been studying Joseph now in this section of the book of Genesis, we've discovered that he was flawless, pretty much. And thus the devil, because of that, you know, even if you make that kind of a commitment to live a life unto the Lord, you do everything that you could possibly do, you know, to follow through with the commitment that you made, the devil is going to focus in and zero in on you because now you've become a threat to his kingdom. But listen, let me tell you something. When you get real about your Christianity, you start sharing your faith with other people, he's going to come at you. You can be sure of that. He's got his eyesight on you, right? And is it possible that that's exactly what the devil was thinking? Okay, here's the sons. Now, which one of these sons? I know that through one of these sons is going to come the Messiah. So which son is it? And if I could bring that son down, you know, maybe I could stop the Messiah from ever being born. Could it possibly be that that's exactly what the devil was thinking? The devil moved heaven and earth to persecute Joseph, to corrupt Joseph, to do away with Joseph. But it was Judah that God had chosen. In fact, in Genesis chapter 49, so that we're told exactly that, how that Judah actually comes around and is, in fact, brought to repentance through the various ways that we've been discussing and discovering over the last couple of weeks. Judah does, in fact, come around, and uh, God uses him, and Judah becomes the man that God wants him uh, to become. But you know what? The devil never suspected that, and that's the reason why he left Judah alone. But anyway, let's go back to Jacob now. Everything is against me. That was his cry. Well, that is not quite correct, Jacob, but he would have been right if he would have acknowledged these three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. The world, whose godless values and goals are a constant threat to all of God's chosen people, the sins of our own fleshly nature, and the destroyer, who is the devil. And yet, in spite of this, how could Jacob have forgotten God? Okay, let's bring this down to personal terms. We are facing these formidable enemies that we've just cataloged for you. In spite of that, don't allow your view of God to be skewed by those things. Never lose sight of God and who he is and now what you have become through his son, Jesus Christ. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 28, let me set the stage for you. We, we, this, was a complete, this was a whole study that I shared a couple of months ago. It was, I think it was called Jacob's Ladder. Remember, Jacob now is fleeing from his dad Isaac's home, and uh, he just ripped off his brother Esau's birthright. His mother counsels him to go to his uncle Laban's house in Haran to escape his brother's wrath. Because remember, he swore a vow, Esau, that is, as soon as my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And so he flees now to Haran, to his uncle Laban. And as he's traveling through the wilderness, uh, he comes to a place that is referred to and called Bethel. And it was there that night that he dreamt a dream. And in that dream, there was this ladder. In fact, go back to... Uh, Genesis chapter uh, 28, 
in verses 13 through 15. Did I give this to you? We're having problems with the computer? Okay. So in Genesis chapter 28, if you guys want, you could just turn there. Genesis chapter 28, begin in verse 12. Jacob is lying on the desert floor. He's looking up into that starry-filled sky. If you've ever been in the desert, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he's facing an unsure future. He's basically, just prior to his escaping his father's house, a mama's boy. He's tied to his mother's apron string. Whereas Esau is a man of the field. He's always out hunting. Whereas Jacob is always in the kitchen baking something with his mom, right? He certainly wasn't a man of the world, okay? So he's frightened. He's fearful, and now he's escaping, and he finds himself lying on the desert floor, looking up into that starry-filled desert sky, and he's thinking, I know that God is out there somewhere, and I know that only he can help me. But the problem, how can I reach him? How can I ascend unto God? And it was that thought that was placed in Jacob's subconscious that lent itself to the dream that he dreamt. And in that dream, he sees this ladder. So let's pick up on the, on, uh, right here, here it is. Thank you, Pastor Jose. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And by the way, this is a type of who Jesus Christ is. Think about it. Jesus said, no one comes unto the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is the ladder by which man ascends unto God, whereby we can reach God, okay? And uh, Jesus even picks up on that theme with Nathaniel, who's sitting under the tree and reading this text of Scripture in the Gospel of John in chapters one, uh, chapter 1, I believe it is, or chapter 2. So anyway, uh, go on. Okay, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, now, this is the thing, and you got to fall Jacob, because this is what Jacob, uh, rather what God had said to Jacob, whereby his view of God should have never been skewed. He should, he should have never fallen into that funk of complaining and murmuring against God, okay? This is what God said to Jacob. I am, and by the way, this is the very same thing he would say to each one of you. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. You know, as it relates, in this context, it has to do with Israel, the land of Canaan, and then becoming a, a nation and a people. But God's going to give you a land, property, blessing, right? This isn't a prosperity teaching, but he's going to pro basically provide for your needs is what I'm suggesting here. Also, your descendants, your children shall be as the dust of the earth. You're going to be blessed. You're going to multiply. You shall, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, the south, and in you. And in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a prophecy, really, right? It's an announcement concerning the Messiah, the Savior. Behold, I am with you. Now, this is exactly what God would say, would say to you this morning. What are you going through right now? What's vexing you? What's troubling you? What are you struggling with? Well, this message is for you. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Is that it? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So what's the big deal? All these things are against me. 
You've forgotten who God is. You see, it is having a God like this that transforms the enemy's opposition. You're going to come up against the opposition. You're going to come up against the enemy. But it completely transforms your situation, your perspective. It sort of like lightens the blow, if you will. It's a God greater than any enemy or circumstances you'll ever face. It's a God who promises to be with us, to bless us, to keep us. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, the story about Elisha and his servant Gehazi. It's recorded for us in 2 Kings in chapter 6 in verses 8 through 18. And uh, let me set this up for you. You know, uh, Syrians, the Syrians were arch enemies of Israel. And they were always seeking to go up against them to defeat them. Any opportunity they could to attack, uh, any opportunity they had to attack Israel, they would. But here's the problem. As the king was in his inner chambers, counseling with his generals, you know, how that they would go about attacking Israel, God would speak to his servant Elisha and give them all of the plans that they had prepared. And so that when they launched out the Syrians, the Israelis already knew where they were coming from, how the whole thing was going to set up. And many times they weren't even in the place that the Syrians thought that they would be in. Now this drove the king of Syria absolutely crazy. And so uh, word got back to the king and uh, that it was the result of Elisha, the prophet, and how that God was speaking to him and gave him all of the details of all of the plans that they had prepared to attack uh, Israel. So Syria's plans were constantly being exposed by Elisha. Okay, so with that said, all right, they found out that it was Elijah, and so now they set out a strike party. They find out that Elijah is down in a certain place, and they surround that place where Elisha is. And now picking up in this story in 2 Kings in chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. Good. And the man of God, Elijah, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So this happened every time they were making these plans. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He thought there was someone who was betraying him, you know, in, in, his, in, in his company. And uh, that he was going out before the attack and letting Israel know in advance. And one of his servants said, No one, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And so he said, Go and see where he is, that is Elisha that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Okay, so therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night, and they surrounded the entire city that Elijah was uh, present in. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, 
there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant went back into the city and said to his master, Elijah, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Broadcasting, we're surrounded. Lights out. This is the end for us. Now, how did Elijah respond? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So the servant probably left the presence of his master, Elijah, went back out the gate of the city, looked around. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. What is he talking about? And he's looking around. There ain't nobody here. We're all alone in this. We're surrounded. What are we going to to do? Well, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. What do you think that was? It was angel. The armies of the devil the armies of darkness against the armies of God and the armies of light that's waging around the believer, around me, around you, it would absolutely blow you away. Elijah knew this, and he prayed that God would open the eyes of his servants, and that's exactly what he did. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, okay, one guy, right? Strike this people, I pray with blindness, and he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. And so Elijah leads them in their blind state into the armed city of Samaria where they're captured by Israel's king. So let's bring this down to personal terms. What is it right now that is surrounding you? What is your threat? What is your temptation? Is it the ensnarements of the world? Is it the flesh with its lusts? Is it the devil and his hatred for God and his people? And you cry out, I'm all alone in this. All of these things are against me. Hey, listen, here's the good news. Those who are with you are more than those who are with them. And you can be sure of that. The one who is above all and who is on our side is alone sufficient and he is for us, and therefore, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8 and verses 32 through 39. Um, just Should I do it, run through it really quick? Tom, I'm, I'm kind of go, I'm going overboard. You know what? Just all you need to know, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. These pity parties, we at times are subject to them. I'm all alone. It's only me, God, serving you. Right? You know, another one of my favorite stories is Elijah. Remember in 1 Kings in chapter 18, in verses 23 and 24, the contest that took place with the prophets of Baal and Elijah to determine the potency of God and which God, Baal, or the God of Israel, was the true and the living God. And so they were challenged to a contest. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to this contest. They built this altar, and they placed upon the altar this wood, and they dug a trench around the altar, and they filled it up with water. And then Elijah challenged the 450 prophets of Baal to cry out to their God, and which God sends down fire from heaven and burns the wood that's been placed upon the altar, 
That's the true and the living God. So that was the contest. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah's just one guy. And they're just screaming and hollering. They're cutting themselves. They're throwing themselves upon the altar. And, and I just, Elijah's giving them a bad time. Well, I guess, you know, your, uh, your God must be on vacation right now. And, uh, you know, he's, he's joking around with them. And, and, uh, and then it was Elijah's turn. And Elijah prays unto the Lord. Lightning and fire comes down from heaven, consumes, not, it licks up all of the water, that the trench that has been dug around the altar, and just anights all of the wood that's been placed upon the fire. And all of Israel who's standing around watching this contest is just like, you know, now they're all pumped. And then Elijah turns to that great company of people and commands them to go and kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And that's exactly what they do. It's at that point that you would expect that this victory would have left Elijah invigorated. And yet, we know as we read on that he felt let down and discouraged. Why was that? Because Jezebel, right, who was a Baal worshiper herself, put out a contract on Elijah's life. And so Elijah now flees out into the desert. And we pick up in our story now where he's hiding in a cave. And in 1 Kings in chapter 19, in verse 9, the voice of God comes to Elijah and God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? In other words, why are you having a pity party? If I'm for you, no one can be against you. Trying to remind him of that very thing. Now, notice Elijah's response. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. But God reminds him and says, Elijah, you don't got that exactly right, buddy. And in verse 18, he says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. He thought he was all alone. He thought he was the last of all of God's people serving him, obeying him. He was absolutely wrong. And so God had to help him to gain a different perspective, the right perspective. And he says, yet I have received 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Listen, gang, you're not alone in your determination to live for God in this wicked, hostile world. And not everything and everyone is against you. Rather, let's sing this chorus. Jesus loves me, this I know. Forward then, to battle, go. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.